Mark chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 14, and can be found on page 1008. John the Baptist beheaded. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist <coughs> has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John <clears throat> arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias <clears throat> nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I find myself um, last week thinking about uh, my wedding speech and the beheading of John the Baptist in the same week, and um, I had to take particular care not to confuse the two. And by the way, thank you so much for your support last Saturday, and uh, especially to all who sang in the choir. It was, uh, you made it a very special day for us. So let's recap this story. When we pick up the story, Jesus has been preaching in the synagogue. He has commissioned and sent out the 12 disciples. 
and the, the preceding two verses says this, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed, oil, anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Being a small community, Herod was perfectly aware of what was going on, and speculation mounted as to who this person Jesus really was. And some had very, there were various theories uh, put out. Herod jumped to what appears a slightly unlikely conclusion that he was John the Baptist back from the dead. But then he goes on, he winds the clock back and gives us the backstory. How did Herod reach this point? By the way, the Herod in our story is Herod Antipas, who is one of the three sons of Herod the Great, and he ruled over Galilee and Perea for 42 years, sometimes called Herod the Tetrarch. He was not technically a king, and we'll come back to that. We're told that Herod feared John and protected him. Interesting, isn't it? Knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. He goes on to say, when Herod heard John preached, he was greatly puzzled, or perhaps more accurately translated, disturbed by what he heard. Yet Mark says he liked to listen to him. Now let's just remind ourselves what John actually preached because Mark has told us clearly in chapter one. Chapter one, verse four. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Very clear what his message was. And he said the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. That was the response to his message, and they were baptized by him in the River Jordan. That was part of his message, the core of his message. But John also spoke of someone who was to follow him who would be more powerful than him, one more powerful than I. And John also speaks then a very direct message to Herod. Herod had gone to, to Rome and stayed with his half-brother, Philip, and fell in love with Philip's wife, Herodias. And the two agreed to marry as soon as Herod could secure a divorce from his wife. And John told him directly that what he said was wrong, what he did was wrong, because it was against the law of God. So let's be clear on what Herod was listening to. He listened to a message that was clearly a call to repentance. Others responded by confessing their sins. He declared that he was preparing the way for someone more powerful. Now anyone with power is a threat to empire. And thirdly, a very personal challenge to Herod himself that what he was doing was wrong. Yet, despite those three messages, which could 
have made him feel very uncomfortable, and did, we're told at the same time that Herod protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. He feared him and liked to listen to John, even though John's message disturbed him. So up to this point, Mark is not painting the picture of an evil despot, but a man whose mind is in some way receptive to truth and to a message of repentance. Something in John's message resonated with Herod. Not so with Herodias, she was different. Because, John's challenge, because of John's challenge to, Herodias, to, to Herod, she bore a grudge against uh, John. And Mark says that when Herod had John arrested, he did it because of Herodias. Then she moved on to the second phase of her plan and held a great birthday party for Herod. All the rich and powerful from Galilee and Perea gathered together for a great banquet. Plenty of wine, no doubt. And her daughter performed a dance, which it has always been assumed in great works of art, and I'm sure rightly so, has some element, had some erotic element to it. And what happens next, of course, is familiar to us. The king probably under the influence of some alcohol by that time, promises the girl in front of all his peers and all these great men up to anything, up to half his kingdom. And her mother, we're told, sets her up to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Mark tells us that the king, understandably, was greatly distressed. It was one thing agreeing to his wife to have John imprisoned. It was quite a different thing to have him killed. The end of the story, by the way, history tells us that uh, on another journey to Rome, uh, Herod was accused of conspiracy and the then emperor Caligula exiled him and he never even returned to Galilee and Perea and is never heard from again. So against this background, we get some insight into Herod's state of mind when he thinks that Jesus is John back from the dead. At least this is a man in some state of distress, if not really a, a tormented mind. It's interesting that despite the fact that Herod uh, ordered the execution of John the Baptist that Mark chooses to give us so much detail as to how, on these events as to how it came about, despite the fact his gospel is very brief. And because of the heinous crime that he committed, that he ordered to be committed, it's very easy to sort of write him off and like the, the hypocrites in Jesus' later story to say, thank God I'm not like Herod. And yet when I read this account carefully, I had to and have to acknowledge 
that I'm prone to some Herod-like tendencies, even if they fall short of the, the horrible act, which in any case I would never have the power to carry out. Let me tell you, say what I mean. First of all, Herod listened carefully to a message of repentance from God's messenger. He didn't at any point overtly reject the message, but failed to act on it. There are times when I have been very rightly challenged, disturbed by the word of God, knowing that there's something that I need to follow up, someone I need to forgive, someone I need to apologize to. On such occasions, we rarely say, no, I'm not doing it. More often, we push it to the back of our mind and even in a time of confession, think about something that we perhaps perceive as more excusable. Secondly, Herod was influenced by an unhealthy relationship. I wonder if there's anyone in this building that doesn't know anyone who has been damaged in some way by a wrong business partnership, an unhealthy friendship, or choice of life's partner? I suspect not. And then we have the party and that terrible decision to order John's execution. What it comes down to is a toxic mix of not wanting to lose face with his peers, his colleagues, the effects of alcohol, and the power of sexual attraction. Put like that, it doesn't seem so unusual. All three, I suppose, harmless in context or in moderation. And yet how often can we make, a, can a decision be taken within that toxic mix which causes utter distress and separation from God? That can happen so easily. Herod's downfall was the result of a series of failures, each of which we are vulnerable to, to a lesser or greater or lesser degree. But it started with a failure to repent. That was his first downturn. So why this rather... Um, negative self-examination. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, abundant life, shalom, which is not just the absence of the distress that Herod suffered, but something much greater. It is peace, but it's harmony, wholeness, completeness, 
well-being, tranquility, and so much more. But crucially, this involves repentance. The message hasn't changed. It involves a recognition of sin. It involves recognizing the need for the cross and a constant returning to the cross to find forgiveness and to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father, discovering and rediscovering the God of peace, the shalom which passes all understanding. Now, of course, we can lose our peace for many reasons, and many of them are outside of our control. But we will never, ever find peace without repentance and reconciliation. And so this morning, we come to take communion and to take bread and wine and remember what Jesus has done in order that we could be forgiven, in order that we could find shalom. There are times when the Spirit of God disturbs us as it did to Herod, something perhaps relating to what we've outlined with Herod or some very often the need to forgive someone or to apologize to someone. We have the choice. We probably won't say no to the, to the Spirit of God. The temptation is that we say, not now. I'm not quite, yeah, another time. I'm not quite ready for that yet. I'm not in a place for that yet. Or we bring it to the cross and embark on a journey of healing and reconciliation with God our Father and perhaps also with another person. David experienced Herod's distress, but he also experienced shalom, God's peace. God's forgiveness. And I think that's what provoked his prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting because he knew that was the way to shalom, to peace. May God give us ears to hear his voice and unlike Herod, the courage to act.